Welcome back to episode 31 of the Play Like a Champion show, a podcast from Play Like a Champion today. I'm Pete Piscatello. I am excited to be joined by Kristen Sheehan. We want to thank you for listening to today's episode. If you missed our last conversation with Christine Canalto or any of our previous episodes, we invite you to go back and take a listen. We know you'll enjoy interviews with some of the brightest minds in youth and high school sports. Also, please take just a moment to download and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, as well as rate and review the show. You can learn more about all that we do on our website at playlikeachampion.org where you can also find links to connect with us on social media. Today, we're joined by Reggie Brooks. Reggie is well-known among Notre Dame fans as an All-America running back and a key part of fighting Irish teams from the 1989 through 1992 seasons. He also had a four-year NFL career that included a 1,000-yard rookie season in 1993. He's taken on a number of different roles over the years and is currently the executive director of Holtz's Heroes, the foundation for legendary coach Lou Holtz. We will talk about his athletic career, his family, a new book, and much more today. But first, let's welcome in Kristen Sheehan. Kristen, as a Notre Dame alum, I'm sure you have fond memories of watching Reggie Brooks play for your Fighting Irish, but he's also been a great friend of the Play Like a Champion program through the years. Hey, listeners. Yes, Reggie is just a spectacular person. Um, Kind, caring, extremely talented and passionate about sports and the value of what sports can do for youth and even, you know, at the college level, because he was a mentor to uh, the track team. And um, also, yeah, Reggie's been a good friend to play like a champion from the from the start of our, our programming in 2006. Reggie's been a frequent uh, supporter of ours. He's been a guest speaker at our conference many times and has also lended us um, some personalities through the Holtz's Heroes Foundation, in particular last Christmas when we ran our um, first annual showcase, <laughs> showcasing all the good work that we have been able to do in uh, in the inner cities, in our inner city partners. Terrific. Well, I'm excited to hear from him. Let's bring him in. So I'd like to welcome Reggie Brooks to our show. Hey, Reggie. Hey, Kristen. How you doing? It's good to see you. You too. And we do get to see you. Our listeners just get to hear you, but you look terrific. You're uh, in your sparkling white play like a champion today shirt. So you wore the brand to the interview. Of course. And, you know, it's also a, a, a brand that was you know kind of established with, uh, you know, my coach and teammates. And again, what, what they're doing with it has been awesome to see and a big fan and, you know, also a big fan of the program. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, uh, but right now let's go back to your childhood. Tell us about the role that sports played when you were a kid. Uh, was it always football or did you have other sports that you enjoyed while growing up? Uh, and this is one of the things that, you know, sports was huge for me. Um, I ran track uh, and mainly played football, but also wrestled for a period of time, played basketball. But the thing that always stuck out to me is like, you know, the non-structured sport that I was able to do in the neighborhood. You know, we had a creek that ran down the in, in, from in Tulsa. We had a creek that ran the, in the, down the back of our house. And when it would freeze over, we had found a hockey puck and, you know, me and my friends would go out and, you know, find sticks and something, slap the, <laughs> slap the hockey puck around. But it was always something to do. You found something to do. You You created those games. And I think that was, my first introduction to sport before getting into a more the more organized aspect of it. 
Well, we talked about some of the exploits at the college level and, and pro level of your football career. Uh, your four seasons at Notre Dame are fondly remembered by uh, by fans of the Fighting Irish, uh, including your 92 season. You rushed for over 1,300 yards, and at the end you were named an All-American. And actually, I looked this up, finished fifth in the Heisman Trophy ahead of Charlie Ward, who would end up winning it the following year. So some pretty cool exploits there. Uh, tell us about some of the blessings and challenges that came from such a, a successful college career, maybe what it was like being recruited by Notre Dame and then what it was like playing there. Well, and, uh, you know, it's, it's funny that you, you asked that question because, um, you know, I talk about that in the book, um, if these walls could talk, um, book that, that that's out. And, you know, my recruiting, recruiting back then was very different than it is now. It was a lot more regional. Um, you know, you'd get the, the letter from time to time, but you didn't have, you know, just this nationwide access that you have today. And so a lot of it was not really knowing a whole lot about Notre Dame until they started recruiting my brother. And that's when, you know, we became a lot more familiar with it because it was mainly Oklahoma, Oklahoma state, you know, the Texas schools, uh, mainly down South when back then the big eight, (laughs) In the, uh, in the Southwest Conference, you know, SMU, TCU. So it was a lot different in terms of your, your, your view as an athlete is a lot more national now. But back then it was, you know, you kind of really focused in more regionally because they had more access to you at a regional level. So, you know, and I always remember, like I said, you know, hearing my dad talk about Notre Dame. That was kind of that that set the tone for us to come and be a part of it and and just have an awareness of it because we didn't. I mean, I literally was clueless about Notre Dame until they start recruiting my brother. And then my dad stepped in and said, hey, you know. So for me, it was more about getting up to campus and experiencing the people. Um, and, you know, for me, a lot of it was not so much about the game itself. It was the periphery. Um, you know, the, the fan, the fans during the, you know, during game when I come up, watch my brother play, man, that was incredible to see the fandom again, didn't really tailgate, but, you know, I would come and see people walking across the quad and just, you know, just the serenity of the campus was awesome. And then when you get there, I had my challenges, you know, a lot of it was, you know, the cultural challenges of being in a, uh, was not did not grow up Catholic, so that was a, a shock to the system, um, and you know was not prominently around a lot of white people growing up. So and you know very Catholic, very white, and you know a lot of the the shocks was you know kind of set in. But the thing that always kind of kept brought me back to balance was my teammates and you know working together and building a community within the Notre Dame community. And as I, you know, got better, because again, I had some challenges. You got to think, I mean, I was there when, you know, it was definitely the heyday. They just won the national championship. So, you know, the challenges on the field at practice and, you know, if I got into a game, I was, I was lucky, you know, so that was always, uh, but I never looked at it like that because it was, you know, it was frustrating from the standpoint of, I thought I was good enough, but I learned real quick that these are some really good players. So, you know, you grow up as you're the big fish in a small pond 
then you become a little fish in a big pond. That's a a definite uh, shift in in perspective. But you know, got through it. Um, you know, and it cannot be more happy about how things turned out. But you know, we all have challenges, um, and how you how you deal with those. It does help when you have good teammates and good coaches and good friends that will bring you through that. Well, you certainly did overcome some of those challenges that you had. Uh, we're going to talk a little later on about your role with Holtz's Heroes, but obviously Lou Holtz, is, as you referenced uh, with the Polega champion, you know, sign and mantra, uh, played a big role in obviously recruiting you and coaching you at Notre Dame. Talk a little bit about what it was like being recruited by him. Um, you know, we, uh, we had on Corey Miner, who was eventually recruited by him a few weeks ago. And he talked about, uh, coach Holtz doing magic in his living room, uh, which is something else. That was a story, uh, but talk about what it was like, uh, you know, getting to meet him, obviously your brother, uh, played there as well. And then what it was like being coached by, you know, a, a legend in the sport. Well, for me, it was like I said, you know, the recruiting piece was actually, uh, I learned more about him, you know, when he came in and, you know, recruited my brother because my brother was top recruit in the state of Oklahoma at the time. And he just, I mean, he just had a way of of engaging people. And a lot of it started with a uh, guy, Vinny Serrato, you know, you know, he was a recruiting coordinator and he was a great setup man. I mean, he, he would line people up. He knew your community. He knew things in your neighborhood as well as you. So he he had that familiarity, and he had to let coach know because, like I said, coach would come in, he knew you know your background, your parents, and he had like a really I don't know if it was photographic memory or whatever you want to call it, but he would remember and know things about you and your area that you're like, how does this dude know this? And he had a great way with with parents. I mean, my mom was really. Uh, smitten with him because again he did the trick with the newspaper he would you know get a newspaper tear it up and then open it ball it up and then open it up and it's whole again and you know little things like that just he made you feel at ease and gave you a perspective of you know and was up front I mean my mom was very uh, blunt in terms of what she wanted for her children and that's one of the reasons that it went so well for Notre Dame is because, you know, some of the Oklahoma schools were basically trying to buy, buy our, her kids. And that was immediate. No, she, once that happened, that was it. Um, so, you know, just the academic opportunities that were afforded to us. And she was always someone that pushed getting a degree. And that was the thing that coach, he really never talked football the majority of the conversation was about, you know, what Notre Dame meant, the opportunities, the network, and, and um, you know, th- that ability to be a part of a team and, you know, being a part of something bigger than yourself. Those things resonated with my parents um, because, you know, you have all, except down, down South, again, it was, you know, was not about how much money you could get for a child. It was, for, at least for our folks, it was, you know, what is going to be your opportunities long term? And um, it's fortunate she had that perspective as well as my dad, because I don't, me and my brother didn't have that. We were, 
we probably would have took the money, but you know, Algerita Brooks was and Raymond, they were running running the show. So they kind of had a lot of determination of what we would do and where we would go. Well, eventually you you obviously spent four years at Notre Dame and then you were drafted uh, in the NFL draft second round by the Washington Redskins and had a, a terrific rookie season in 1993, rushed for over a thousand yards. What was your NFL experience like? Uh, would you do it over again? Would you change anything? Talk to us about that. Um, probably the biggest thing I would change was having a better perspective of the business side of the, of the NFL. Um, you know, for me growing up, it was always football was a, a game. Um, and even playing through my time at Notre Dame, it was a game. But when you get to the NFL, the business aspect of the game really uh, comes into play. And I wasn't prepared for that. Um, and it was some, some challenges that I, uh, you know, went through, particularly with the um, with Washington. Um, that again, that you know, really, really. Uh, kind of made the game not fun um, and not as enjoyable as it once was. Um, and I kind of talk about that in the book, you know, just the the business side of the, the game and some of the, the difficulties that I had with some of the um, ownership and um, it was, it was tough. It was tough. And, but I, I wouldn't change the connectivity I had with some of the, my teammates, you know, I still keep in touch with some of those guys to this day. Um, and that's for me has always been the, the blessing of the sport and playing sport is the, the, the relationships that you develop and the fact that they're genuine as opposed to, you know, someone's always trying to get something from you versus, Hey, how can I be there for you? And we work together. Well, Reggie, you've you know, made it really clear that the relationships with your teammates were really critical. And, you know, play like a champion, we train coaches. And so we teach them that the relationship between coach and player is also so valuable. And you talked about Coach Holtz earlier. Tell us about some of your other coaches growing up, maybe even at the youth or the high school level or other coaches collegiately or professionally. And who stands out in your memory? And why do you remember those coaches and your relationship with them? Well, the first coach is my dad. He, he was one of my first coaches in Pop Warner, and he stands out the most because, again, he taught me the game, gave me a perspective of what, you know, he, he nurtured my love for the game of football. And, you know, we always talked about knowing the history of the game. And that was one of the reasons why it was he was so adamant about us at least looking at Notre Dame because he knew the history of it, you know, you know, he was born in 1925, so he was aware of, you know, the the Rockneys, the Leahys, you know, and, and, and even era that he's like, no, you got to look at this school. And so um, he, he, he stands out first and foremost. And then uh, Tony Dungy, when I went to, you know, after the struggles I had in, in um, Washington, I, I went, I was signed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and this is Tony's first season there. And the thing that always resonated with me where he was concerned was the family approach. And, and again, you knew when he was pissed off. I mean, he, um, people get this perception that oh, he just always low-key, go with the flow. I mean, you know, still, still marvel at this, but this guy could, you know, sit there and actually – 
curse you out without cursing you out. You know, he he would he was very stern, very forward, but you always knew that he cared, and it wasn't so much about playing the game as it was doing things the right way and, you know, competing. You know, there, there was a value system there that always resonated with me, um, and I still see it to this day. And something I always remember is that when I was at Washington, we would go like three, three and a half hours away from the complex to go for training camp. Well, when I was in Tampa, training camp was like right downtown Tampa. And I remember families being at the practices. You know, you had, you know, wives and kids were there and that was encouraged, which was a foreign concept, you know, after spending time in Washington where, you know, it was like they're getting getting you away from everybody else. And so, you know, I, I knew he would have success just because of, his demeanor, his personality, but he was very good coach, but also a better person that that's somebody I've always respected and had a, a lot of um, uh, respect for as, and you know, when you talk about the play like a champion today um, program, I mean, he exudes that, you know, that importance of the player coach relationship, but it was more about respect and valuing the individual as opposed to, and and from the NFL, you're a commodity. And that's, you never, you never got that sense with him that he viewed you as a, a means to an end or a commodity. He viewed you first as a human being and, and as an individual. Oh, that's uh, a beautiful, I, I've really enjoyed reading uh, Tony Dungy's book, Quiet Strength and uh, following his career. And in fact, in, I don't know if you noticed in South Bend, they have these billboards up now. Um, he's a foster dad. And it says, oh, wow. if I could be a foster dad, so can you. Uh, so he's still going. Yeah, I love it. Um, well, you mentioned some of the things that you saw in him and other coaches about being respectful and valuing the athlete as an individual. Um, I think those are important ingredients to being a impactful and a transformational coach. And I know you've coached as well. You've coached track and you've coached some football. Uh, so what were your guiding philosophies as a coach? For me, it was just, just you know, and this comes from, and, and I always say Coach Holtz had some sort of Jedi mind trick that he could do because he could say the same thing every week and get you fired up about it, you know, and, and but it was it was a, a way of, and again, our, how we, we called it how we win. You know, there was, there were sets, parameters of these are the things that we need to do to be successful in the game. And, you know, over time, it wasn't, I, I, it came to my realization, it wasn't so much about the game of football as it was about the game of life. And, you know, that's the one thing that has always resonated with me about Coach Holtz is that, you know, what I learned under him prepared me for some of the challenges I faced at Washington, but also opened my eyes to be more knowledgeable or receptive to what Coach Dungy did. So in terms of, you know, that personability, um, now that's I'm not going to sit here and say Coach Holtz was like perfect and did no wrong because he was is I mean, we wanted to kill him sometimes. He was he was that demanding, but you knew if you you know, once you, you know, 
figured it out. We, you know, you have, you're you're 18, 19, 20 year old kid. You don't know as much as you think you do, which at the time you think you know everything. But the consistency in the message, the consistency in the approach, it defined my philosophy is that, you know, understand, respect the game, value your teammates above the game, and do your best. Not saying that you have to be perfect, but you should strive to be as best the best player that you can be. But that comes from, you know, three questions that we asked, he would always ask. Can I trust you? Are you committed to excellence? And do you care about me? You know, as a teammate, if you can answer yes to those questions, as a coach, if you can answer yes to those questions, it, it keeps you on a, a, a path that you don't get so focused on, unfortunately, the money, which is kind of where sports focuses now. Um, so that was always something that always, I always came back to is that, would, is this something I would do for free? And it was because I did it for free, because I love the game, respect the game, and respect the people that you're coaching. Not saying that you always have to, you, you know, I'm and I, I'm the first to tell you, I'm never, I'm not, and I talk, talk when I would coach, I'm not always right. Be open to hear and listen and have an understanding of the individual that you're coaching. And 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 to, it's a it's a two way street, and a lot of times coaching is very much one sided, and I think that's a if you're not able to learn from somebody, that's a problem. I always look look to learn from the kids I coach, and have a better understanding of them, so I can coach to that individual, and not so much to well this is my way of doing things. Either you get on board, or you're out of here. That I think that just sets the wrong tone and it doesn't allow that individual to grow. It doesn't allow you to grow. Well, that's pretty fantastic advice for coaches out there uh, and a great coaching philosophy. You know, you talked a little earlier, we talked with Play Like a Champion about coaches and athletes. We also talk about parents and we talk to parents. You talked about the role your parents played uh, in your life growing up and in your recruitment and all that good stuff. But you're also a dad, a father of five kids. We talked a little bit before we uh, we started recording about how proud you are of, of your kids and your uh, high school age daughter who's going to be heading off to college sometime soon here. Um, talk about, you know, your best advice for sports parents. You know, talk about your own kids playing sports and how you've dealt with that as, as a father. Um, talk about that experience of parents and why that can be so important uh, as a sports parent. Well, for me, I said my my. Each of my children play sports. Um, and I think the best advice I can give is allow them to enjoy the sport. You know, and I said, I know, like, when, you know, my sons played football and I coached them, but I never coached them to the point where I'm, well, you're going to be this. It doesn't allow for growth. You know, I'm not going to say, well, hey, my son has to be, you have to be a running back or you have to be a defensive back or you have to be this. Be the best football player or the best volleyball player or the best soccer player, you know, baseball, whatever the sport is, 
be the best player that you can be. And it may be a different position than what people assume. So as a parent, don't say my son is the quarterback or my son is this or my daughter is this. Be a parent. Be supportive. Be nurturing. Be encouraging. And also be honest with your children and be honest with yourself. Not everyone is made for Division I sports. And that's okay. You know, Division II is a good, they have really good programs. And a lot of good coaches are at that level. Division three. So don't project to, onto your child what you think they should be. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with your children. And then let coaches coach. And parents parent. I was saying, and this is NFL, owners own, coaches coach, players play. Stay in your lane. And as a parent, your lane is not, unless you have expertise in that sport, leave it alone. Like I said, my daughter played soccer. I don't know jack about soccer. I learned because she was doing it. So, and I like to know about what, you know, so if she's out running around, I have a clue as to why she's running over here and the ball's over there. You know, learn the sport, but let those coaches coach your children and don't you determine what your child should be. I love it. We say give the game back to the kids. You know, we tell sport parents, parents, your eligibility is up. <laughs> your playing days are over. Let your child play for him or herself. And the other thing we find, too, is that when we do our parent workshop, parents all of a sudden realize that there are other kids on the team, not just their own child, <laughs> and that they should care about all the kids on the team. You know, that's one of our favorite things. We kind of try to go with that tunnel vision to expand uh, parents' reality that all of these kids are trying to grow and develop together. So um, thank you. And for you that. just made a good point. Team. Team. There's no individual, like, you know, the soccer, I mean, soccer, baseball, football, you know, like golf, it's a little more individual. Track to some degree is somewhat individual, swimming and diving. But if you're a part of a team, you're supposed to be there for the team, not yourself. And that's hard for parents to grasp sometimes. And again, I know it was for me and I had to, you know, it's always reassessed. You know, every year I reassess where I am with my children and their sport. I have a daughter, my youngest daughter, she's in cheer now. I have no clue of how to, what that means. You know, how to cheer, what cheer is, but she, this is what she wants to do. And I'm going to support her and I'm going to listen to the coach and I'm going to do my part. And parents, do you have a part? You know, where they were having a Halloween deal. So I went up there and said, hey, what do you need me to do? I don't that they don't need me to coach. They needed me to be there to support and encourage. And I also encouraged the other kids and her little friends. So I still don't know how to cheer for cheer, you know, because I don't know if you clap or when you can engage or what you're supposed to do. 
It's a little, it's been diff, it's been a challenge, but I'm learning. I'm learning. <laughs> well, Reggie, you're going to have to, if your daughter's a cheer, you're going to have to learn how to put the bows in her hair. Because always a bow with the guy, with the outfit. Yeah. So we're actually, now that you mentioned that, I think we have a parent coaches, uh, they have a meeting with the parents about the makeup and the hair and the styles and that. <laughs> That's not, you know, I'm sorry. And I might, I hope I don't offend anybody. That's not sport to me. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a little different, I, but I'm going to, I'm going to be there and do what I'm supposed to do. But Kristen, I don't know about the whole you know, makeup and bow thing. I, I, I might, I might have to defer to someone else on that part. I know, you know, that's the theatrical part of the sport of cheerleading, and so maybe, yeah, you're maybe you let your wife handle that one, huh? <laughs> okay, let's get into more familiar territory. Uh, you alluded to it before that you're the author of a new book. Um, if these walls could talk: stories from the Notre Dame Fighting Irish sideline, locker room, and press box. Uh, tell us how the publication came to be. Well, um, I, I got to put a lot of emphasis on the fact that um, I had um, Mr. John Heisler helping me, and he did a lot of the heavy lifting. But it was it was an absolute joy to go through and work with him. Um, and if it weren't if it weren't John, I wouldn't have done. If it weren't were any other, you know, someone helped me to write. It would not have happened because Heist knows he's been there, you know, from the beginning. So he knew a lot of the same stories and and a lot of the the things that were going on at that time. But also, you know, I talk about the some of the current teams and you know, kind of the transition of you know the previous um, you know players and their impact on on the program. And the book really kind of delves into not just my experience, but, you know, my my experience as it relates to being a pl former player, a student, but also an alumni and an employee. And reaching back several years, you know, to the 60s, to reaching forward to, you know, just not too long ago, the, the, that 2020 season last year and how impactful that was. And what those young men went through and having a perspective of, you know, something that the challenge of doing what they did and having the success they had. And a lot of people don't get because they, all they see is Saturday, Saturday afternoon. And, you know, having had the opportunity to engage those young men about, you know, January, February, March timeframe, that's when teams are built. And remembering those interactions where you're going to class, you're going to work out, um, and having those having those conversations, and like I said, getting to know some of the current players, and and being able to make some connection between my experience, theirs, and even guys before them. And I always said Notre Dame is not for everybody, and there's a is a unique perspective, at least in my mind, that ties eras together, and you know the success that guys have, and, and you hear the stories about Eric Parsegian and his players and having the relationship with the Dave Casper and then having a relationship with the uh, Alan Page or Rick Rocky Blyer, you know, Alan Pink, Pinkett, you know, and uh, those guys that had that struggle during the Jerry Faust era, even Jerry Faust, I mean, you know, 
understand the relationship and the commitment needed to be successful at Notre Dame um, was woven into the stories of the book. And it's not just a book about, you know, X's and O's. It's experiences and challenges and how you overcome those challenges and the importance of having other people there to help you get through those challenges um, and what it means to be a, a, a real teammate. You know, teammates teammates aren't just a period in time. Being a teammate is a, a lifetime commitment. And, you know, and it shows through, you know, through the book about having those lifetime commitments and how they impacted me years ago and even still to this day. Well, your listeners love stories and your book is all about stories. I know it's impossible to think of your favorite story from the book, but maybe think of one that you've especially enjoyed remembering and sharing uh, and share that with us. Well, one in particular, and it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of funny because it's, it's, it's my, was my first game at Notre Dame. And you got to understand, like I said, come from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I didn't venture far from Oklahoma. You know, it was very rare and definitely had never ventured too far from air. So I find myself in New York for the kickoff classic, Notre Dame versus Virginia. First home, first game in a Notre Dame uniform and all the pageantry, you know, you know, the police escorts. And then you get into New York and you see the skyscrapers, the big city. And then you hear in giant stadium playing. Well, I didn't play a whole lot, but just the whole magnitude of it. That has always stayed with me because that was my first experience as a, in a, away game and my first experience in a game for Notre Dame was in freaking New York in a pro stadium. I mean, you know, this is, I'm 18 years old. I don't have a freaking clue. I'm just, just glad to be there. And then you see all these different things. We stayed in a great hotel and went up the Sears tower and you see all this different stuff. And it's like, is this really happening? And, you know, it just, I don't know, it, it doesn't, see, doesn't seem significant to a lot of people, but for that to be your first experience in your college career, that's always resonated with me because, again, and you got to, you know, live it out with your teammates and, you know, you remember those things. And it's it's not about the game. I mean, even though, like I said, we won, did well, but it was, again, you're there with your teammates. And, you know, we came in a week early for uh, two-a-days. And you got to understand, we beat the crap out of each other. You know, and so this is the first time you get to compete against somebody else. But to do it on that stage and that magnitude, that was my first experience as a Notre Dame football player was playing in New York <laughs> against Virginia in a pro stadium, who who does that happen to? I mean, back then, that was just that was awesome. Well, Reggie, I have to comment because your your daughter is the cheerleader. 
I was at that game. That was the first game of my senior cheer season. And so I was cheering you on. And you're right, the pageantry, the awe of being in a space like that with all of the fans together and everyone's wearing the same colors and you're really part of a community. And it is, it's, we used to say to each other on the sidelines, hey, can you pinch me? Like, is this really where I am right now? Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I can I can resonate with that. I'm glad that was your story that you shared. <laughs> well, we uh, will let you tell people how we can access your book and order that because I know people are going to want to read all of those excellent stories. Um, but I want to move on to what you do now professionally. You are the executive director for Holtz's Heroes, which is Coach Lou Holtz's foundation. Tell us the mission and vision of the foundation and what current projects you are working on. Um, the mission is, you know, supporting and, and building and living out the legacy that Coach Holtz and his former players um, established. And, it, and it's predicated on, you know, the, the three questions, you know, trust, love, and commitment, being trustworthy, you know, showing people that you care about them and being committed to doing things the right way. You don't have to be perfect, but being committed and sharing that with your fellow teammates. Our focus is mainly on supporting our former former players. And it's not just uh, relegated to the guys from our era. I mean, you'd be surprised at how many guys are struggling, you know, both mentally, physically, emotionally, and being that support system for them uh, and being those team, you know, that, that continual teammate forever. And, you know, we have, and then our scholarship fund, which goes to support, you know, scholarships for former players, but also for those that are in need. You know, though not everybody can afford to go to college. It's expensive now. <laughs> and so making sure that we're able to support uh, individuals in our communities across the country to benefit them. Well, what are your, your future plans or dreams or hopes for the Holtz's Heroes Foundation? Uh, do you have any anything sort of coming down the road that uh, you're excited about? Um, well, one thing is, like I said, we work with a lot of players. Again, can't really you know, give names, but supporting that have you know, had some struggles. And the, the biggest struggles we've seen here in the last year has been um, mental health struggles and substance abuse and providing a, you know, avenue by which to get them the help that they need. And we work closely with their families. You know, this is something that, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you focus in on the former player and you miss out the struggles that the family is going through with those individuals. So we have a, a program called Forever Family that we, you know, make a point of connecting with individuals from that person's family and assigning members of, of our, of the organization just to be a conduit and then having that ability to reach back and say, Hey, you know, I remember so-and-so, you know, like Rodney Culver, you know, being able to support, you know, he lost his life and his wife and his daughters. And again, it's not always a, a, a financial um, commitment. A lot of times it's just being there to, to listen, to be a, a, a ear, a support system. You know, there are financial needs that do arise for those individuals, but a lot of it, this is about being part of the community. And, and you talked about it, Christian. Christian, it's that community that you are part of 
that you want to benefit, and it benefits not just this select group of guys. This is to benefit our communities, where we live, establish, you know, those roots. Because we don't want Hostess Heroes to be a, a foundation that just exists for the period of time when the guys like myself are around. We want this to be extended and that legacy to move beyond us and live beyond us. So, and it requires having family members and other parts of the community. And we, we kind of model it after the um, uh, you know, alumni club, you have the Subway alumni. You know, and that's something that really resonated with us. You don't have to be an alum to be a part of it. You don't have to be a Hoaxes hero or former player of Coach Hoaxes to be a part of this organization and be heard and be valued. You just have to be someone that's committed to doing, doing what's right, showing people you care, and doing the best that you can every day. Well, I'm sure there are people listening who will want to learn more about Holtz's Heroes. So tell us how they can access that information, Reggie. It's at uh, www.holtzesheroes.org. So H-O-L-T-Z-S. A lot of people forget that S. <laughs> it's important. H-E-R-O-E-S.org. Uh, Thank you. And where can our listeners find your book and order your book with all those great stories? It is def- it's on Amazon. Um, you can also get it in the in bookstores in your area. And it will definitely be in the bookstore at Notre Dame this coming weekend because I will be there signing autographs uh, from 1.30 to 3 o'clock on Saturday after- afternoon in preparation for the Saturday, eve- Saturday night game against uh, those funny guys from the West Coast in those funny colors. <laughs> Oh, all I can say is go Irish. And I think the perfect way to close is um, all of our listeners know the, the in the football locker room is our play like a champion today sign. And the players hit the sign as they exit the locker room onto the field of competition. You hit that sign many times. What does that mean to you? Well, I plan to, so I'll be there Friday, Friday uh, morning. I'm planning to go back in there in uh, Friday evening and uh, relive some good old days. Going down that tunnel, I mean, you know, play like a champion today is, you know, it's it's to me a little spiritual because again, each day is an opportunity, you know, um, and so you have an opportunity every day, and it's all about your attitude, your perspective, and how you see your life and the lives of others. You can be, you know, despondent. You can be grateful. You can be mad. You can be a lot of things. But from what I know, playing like a champion today is like living like a champion today. Take every day, one day at a time. Show people that you care. Show people that they matter. And do your very best every opportunity that you get. And the fact that you have another day. (laughs) You're blessed to see another day. So why not, you know, play like a champion today? It's it's an opportunity of a lifetime. Amen. <laughs> I love how you said it's spiritual because it is for us too to be the best that God created each person to be. And that's the opportunity. Reggie, it's been such a joy to talk with yeah. you today. And um, we wish you all the best with Holtz's Heroes. Uh, and we can't wait to, to officially read your book. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. 
Kristen. I enjoyed getting the chance to catch up with Reggie Books, hear some of his stories. What'd you take away from our interview? Gosh, Pete, I think I took away the, the sense of the value of community, the community of the team, that teammates are not just at that time, but they're friends for life. And also the value of the relationship with the coach and that the coach builds that community of the team. Um, that that was really what I, I took away from Reggie's comments. Yeah, I was going to say relationships uh, as, as a word. And we obviously talk about that all the time, but he talked about, I mean, every relationship that's involved in sports from his own parents to, you know, his, his coaches, his teammates. I thought he had just some terrific words uh, on there, uh, words of wisdom for any sports parent or coach. So terrific, terrific stuff. Well, we want to thank everyone for joining us here on the Play Like a Champion show. Remember that you can subscribe and download our podcast on your favorite podcast platform and connect with us on Facebook at Play Like a Champion and Twitter and Instagram at PLC number four character. Also a reminder to visit our website where we continue to debut resources for athletes, coaches, and parents. Kristen, thanks as always for being here. Looking forward to our next exciting conversation. Thanks, Pete. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. Have a great week, everyone. And wherever you are, remember to play like a champion each and every day. Thank you.